Well, uh, you make it hard for us to stay seated. Thank you. That was a little Memphis in the house. That was, that's church. Thank you. Last night, I um, had the opportunity to go to a um, funeral for John and Sandy's grandson, Joseph Fugit. And just one of the most tragic events, he's 19 years old, and he was killed in an accident uh, last week, last Tuesday, and uh, it's just broken our hearts. This is the second grandson that they've lost within just four months. Uh, so it's been a difficult season. I want to tell you about just one moment. Their son, Johnny, some of you know um, that family, and they have visited here at Calvary and been at some of our events. Actually spoke at one of our men's events uh, not too long ago. Uh, Johnny, who's Joseph's dad, had every right to do nothing but just show up and just to grieve. The loss of this fun, quirky, uh, just unique kid who's just, just a delightful guy. That's all he had to do. That was his only job. You know what? He stepped beyond that. And last night, he got up at a funeral. I was told this morning there were 1,400 people there. And using napkins that he had drawn on uh, and just unfolded the plan of salvation because he knew his son's athletic teams and friends from school and others were there. And in his mind, this is a moment where... I get to hurt, but it's also an amazing opportunity to share the gospel. And so he grabbed that opportunity and just did a beautiful job. I thought about that. We drove home last night and uh, this morning. And as I even visited with the family last week, and, and, and John had pulled me inside and said, here's the verse that I read that day, the day that uh, we found out that morning that my son had been in this accident last night, and, uh, and, and he, he was already thinking about that scripture uh, that God had given him. You know, we all face, eventually you will face a moment like that. And in between that moment and this moment, there's going to be all kinds of <laughs> crises, and there's, there's going to be things happen that are just completely out of your control, or maybe even something you caused, you know, and you're just walking through uh, the destruction or the consequences of your own actions or behaviors, or maybe somebody else, maybe you've just been victimized, whatever it is, just a, a circumstance that could happen to anybody like this accident. It may be a big thing like that, or it could be just something like the exam you're facing tomorrow. You're waiting on the test result to come back from the doctor, or maybe uh, you got a call from your boss, we, we need to have a talk, and you know, that's not always a good thing. In today's text, as we're walking through Mark together, we're going to read about a guy who is actually very religious. He's not just religious, but he was a leader in the local synagogue. He's like the president. <laughs> He is like the guy uh, there in this local synagogue. And his responsibility in that position was to make sure that everything that needs to happen for worship is set up and ready to go. 
Now, they didn't have to do sound checks. They didn't have to go get their batteries put in their mic pack. Uh, they didn't have to do anything like that, but they had lots of details. And he was the guy who would go ahead of time and make sure. And as he would do that, he would just pray over everything. He was a religious leader. And the religious leaders, by the way, were some of the most unlikely people to ever come to Jesus. They were like on the other team. You know, they didn't like this upstart. They didn't like what he was bringing to the table. They didn't like his approach at all. And he did not run anything he was doing through them. And that just just bugged them. This guy was different. His name was Jairus. And his daughter was lying on her deathbed. And so Jairus goes to Jesus and he tells him about this situation. And he's risking everything because all of his friends, his neighbors, all the people in his church are probably watching him and many of them are judging him. He doesn't care because his little girl is at the point of death. So he goes to Jesus. And I want you to notice when we move forward today that as soon as as Jairus spoke his faith, Jesus was attracted Because, big secret today, that's what compels him. He is drawn to that. He is drawn to faith. And so Jesus agreed and said, I'll go with you. Here's the big idea for today's message. We can come to Jesus with our requests, with all of our fears. And he will honor even imperfect faith. When the object of that faith is Jesus, when it's him, you can bring it, whatever it is. So what do we do that? What do I do in the morning when I get up? What do I do this afternoon, this week? Here's how I want to apply that in my life. Bring your toughest situation, whatever you're facing right now, whatever you may face this week that you have no idea is coming at you. And all your fears that that collects as it goes along. And you've been through crisis by now. You've been through a breakup. You've been through a financial crisis. You've been through a divorce. You've been through maybe trouble in some way, an addiction or a health issue. And you know that as you go forward in that and as the reality of it sinks in, it just picks up with ever-increasing momentum fear. Fear begins to try to attach itself to us and all the possibilities and the what-ifs and the worst-case scenarios become so likely in your imagination. And bring it all to Jesus. Let's read the story and what happened. This is in Mark chapter 5. Uh, I'm just going to read this passage. I can't think of a better way to do it, uh, beginning in verse 21, and just let Scripture tell the story. It says this, When Jesus went back across to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. A leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, came, and he fell down before him in front of everybody, pleading with him to heal his little daughter. She is about to die, he said in desperation. Please come. 
place your hands on her and heal her so that she can live. Jesus went with him. And I love that little phrase, Jesus went with him. And the crowd thronged behind. And there was a woman in the crowd who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors through the years and had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she was worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched the fringe of his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his clothing, I'll be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. And she could feel that she had been healed. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, all this crowd is pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell at Jesus' feet and told him what she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. You have been healed. While he was still speaking to her, Messengers arrived from Jairus' home with the message, Your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus ignored their comments, and he said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just trust me. Then Jesus stopped the crowd, and he wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter and James and John. And when they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw the commotion and the weeping and the wailing. And he went inside and he spoke to the, spoke to the people. Why all this weeping and commotion? He asked, the child isn't dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him. But he told them all, go outside. And then he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying, holding her hand. And I love that. He said to her, get up, little girl. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. Her parents were absolutely overwhelmed. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them, give her something to eat. In this text, there's this religious leader, and his name's Jairus, and his daughter's on her deathbed, and she's been sick, and uh, she's just 12 years old. How many of you are 12 years old? How many of you are 12 years old? Right here, some 12-year-olds. She was your age. She was your age. And it's interesting to me that she was born the same year that this lady started bleeding. So she's 12, and and Jairus is is desperate. He goes to speak to Jesus about this situation, 
And notice as soon as Jairus expresses this belief, this faith in Jesus, Jesus leans into that because Jesus is attracted by faith. And he went to heal her. So he and Jairus and his disciples, they make their way through the crowd and they they push their way through. And this woman comes up and she just secretly touches the fringe, the wings, the tassels on Jesus' robe, probably his prayer shawl. This interruption was a touch of faith. Just a holy interruption. And sometimes holy interruptions don't mean that Jesus has diverted his path or he's changed his mind or that things have stopped or that anything's going to be any different than it was. It's just an interruption. And this was a touch of faith on her part. So Jesus takes a moment to touch her and to heal this woman who is considered ceremonially and socially unclean. And you did not touch unclean things, which just by this point in the gospel, you realize that doesn't bother Jesus in the slightest. He just goes right past that. And he just very gently and tenderly touches her. And he brings healing uh, into her life. But I want you to look at this for just a moment from Jairus' point of view. I want you to see it the way he sees it. He is desperate. He's a man on fire. This is his little girl. This is his pride and joy. For 12 years, he has celebrated her. And she has been the light in his eye and the kick in his step and just his joy. To hear her laughter, to hear her voice, to listen to her questions, to watch her grow. And see in his mind the woman that she's becoming. And now, her life hangs in the balance. So he pushes through the crowd, risking his reputation, his job, everything, to ask Jesus, and no, to beg Jesus, would you heal my daughter? And obviously, he wants Jesus to hurry up because she's right at the edge of life. There is not a moment to lose She could die at any second. Then, on the way, and the first part, you just imagine the range of emotions. And Jesus just just locks eyes with him and said, I'm coming with you. Let's go to your house. And his heart must have leaped with hope, thinking, he's coming. I made it here. He said, yes, we're on our way now. There is a chance And then all of a sudden, as Jesus is making his way with him, this woman sneaks up and demands this attention, this ability from Jesus. And Jesus stops to minister to her. And you know, Jairus must be thinking, I can't believe this. Are you serious? Jairus is just standing there. And I can imagine him fidgeting 
and he's thinking his feet are pointed this way, and he's thinking we don't have a moment to lose. She could die any minute. And he just watches this scene. This isn't fair. Are you kidding me? You've been bleeding. We all know you in this village. We know you've had this issue and that you've had this problem for 12 years. You couldn't wait 30 more minutes? My little girl's dying. And in his eyes, he doesn't see the woman's heart. He just sees it as, that's so selfish. I can't believe you're doing this. Couldn't you wait? Couldn't you just go with us? And then maybe after he's finished, you know, doing what he's going to do with my little girl, then you could kind of get your turn. My daughter's dying. He said he would come. We were on our way. And you stopped us. Besides that, you're unclean. You shouldn't even be here. He was beside himself with anxiety and frustration. I'm a dad. I know. Couldn't you have waited 30 more minutes? Now, at this time, the Levitical law said that because a woman had this issue of blood, that she was just constantly ceremonially un unclean. And Jesus is taking up precious time with this social outcast when he could have been healing and dealing with the leader of the synagogue, the most religious, faithful guy in town. And Jesus says, I'll be within just a minute. I got to deal with this first. This is real strong evidence and affirmation for me that Jesus is no respecter of a person. He doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care. That doesn't affect him or pull him in any direction. And you're not going to impress him and you're not going to depress him. He will minister to the highest ranking official and he will minister to the lowest outcast of society. Somewhere between those, you and I fit perfectly in his plan and in his heart. It says that he started going along with Jairus in response to his faith. And on the way, he stops and ministers to this woman in the response of her faith. You begin to see what fuels and motivates uh, Jesus. All he's looking for is a little faith. He doesn't care about your history. He doesn't care about your past, all your mistakes, what you look like, how many Bible verses you know, uh, all of that. He just wants to see if there's faith. Will you lean into Jesus? Faith always gets his full and undivided attention. There's a couple of things I like about Jairus that I think made such a difference in his life, in the life of his little girl and in this situation. One thing is that he didn't panic. You know, he, he just stayed so cool. As Jesus is talking with the woman and these messengers come from the house, I can't imagine that moment to tell him, we are so sorry. And the messengers must have talked back and forth. Are you going to tell him? I, why don't you tell You're so much better. At, no, I just, I can't bring myself to tell You tell him. You know him better. And they get there, and then this is this moment and tears. And I just wonder if he could just look at their face, and he knew what they were about to say. He could just tell by their expression. They said there's no reason to trouble the master anymore. This word trouble means to annoy, to pester, to bother. Stop bothering Jesus. 
You had your chance, didn't happen, and now you're just in the way. He's got other things to do. There are other people here. It's not all about you. You're not the only one. So why don't you leave him alone? And we're sorry, didn't work out for you today. But immediately, as Jesus overhears this, he turns to Jairus and he says, Don't be afraid. Just trust me. Just believe. He's telling this man, I want you to keep acting exactly the way you were acting before you received this bad report. Your heart, your eyes, everything about you was focused on me. And that was your hope. And, and you, you were locked in. Don't let go of that now. Don't panic. Don't panic. As far as Jesus is concerned, death is no greater challenge than sickness. Now see, in, in our eyes, it's like, oh, as long as she was just sick, she had a chance. Jesus could do something, but uh oh, you know, she's 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 died. And Jesus is like, Do you know who you're talking to? I'm gonna show you myself, even in my own life, that I overcome death. There's nothing too great. And that's why he told Jairus to not panic, because he sees everything from his point of view. I give you a dictionary definition of what it means to panic. It's a sudden, unreasonable, overpowering fear. Have you ever felt a sudden, unreasonable, overpowering fear? Oh my goodness, I have. Have you ever panicked? Have you ever realized, <gasps> and your heart starts beating, and you're not sure what to do, and your mind goes blank, and you, and you have no direction, and that's where Jairus was. Listen, if you walked into this room today and there's some part of your life that's just in panic, that is a place where you're operating out of fear. And I can tell you firsthand, when you operate, when you move and function, and when you make even your very best decisions out of fear, what does that produce? What happens? What is the fruit in your life? I don't think anything good comes from fear. And that's why the enemy tries to keep us there. And the more extreme that is, the better for him. Fear of any kind is a contradiction to faith. God knows your heart. And he knows that emotion. And he knows how you feel. But he knows when you choose beyond that, when you choose to either give in to faith or to fear, and you say no to the fear and faith, and, and it's not easy, and it's risky, and it's counterintuitive. It's so much easier, almost comfortable. You know, it's, it's almost your go-to position just to say, I'm just going to lean, I'm just going to give myself to the fear. I'm just going to panic in those moments. Satan knows that if he can drive out your faith with fear, then he can bring to pass the very thing in your life that you were afraid of. That's why Jesus tells Jairus, before he says anything else, 
his first statement. It's like, before I talk about your daughter, before I ask, well, tell me what she was like before. I mean, all of those things in this conversation, he just said, stop being afraid. And it's written in that tense where he says, stop, calm down, calm down, take a breath, be still, quiet yourself. Stop being scared. Everything's going to be all right. Obviously, Jairus, his mental, his emotional, spiritual attitude has a lot to do with what's about to happen next. And the same is true with us. Listen, don't trust your fear. I know it feels real because it is real. And it'd be easy for you to say, Dan, you have no idea. I can't believe when you say stuff like that with such authority, you know, just don't trust your fear. You don't know what I'm up against tomorrow. You don't know what's happened to me yesterday. I don't have to know. Because I know Jesus. And I know whatever you're facing, whatever you're facing, it's not any bigger than this. So he has this situation, and Jesus begins to move, and, and he knows your situation is real. He, he knows that everything about it, he won't deny the reality of whatever your circumstances are, but he does indicate by these words, and again and again in places in Scripture and all of his actions, that that reality you're facing is not the most real, it's not the ultimate reality. He pushes beyond that. There's a bigger picture for him. Last night at the end of the service, and I thought this was so cool, because they did songs that Joseph at age 19 would have liked to have done. Just real, just, they did Leonard Skinner. Uh, <laughs> they did all kinds of cool stuff, and they ended the night with an old worship song uh, called Big House. I think Audio A did it back in the day, you know, and, and it's just one like an anthem, and you sing, and we just ended with, uh, you know, in my father's house. It's a big, big house, and Joseph's in that house. It was just such a note of hope, and there's an ultimate reality that he knew. Jesus didn't say, Jairus, I don't know what to say. I am so, so, so sorry. If this woman, he could have done the blame thing. If this woman hadn't stopped me, I mean, you know, I was, with, I was headed to your house, but then, you know, I got distracted. I got, I'm just, I don't know what to say. I apologize. Yeah. Maybe it just wasn't the will of God, you know, that your, your daughter be healed. I mean, it's just not, not this time. Do you have other children? I mean, if it would have been his will, she would have lasted. I mean, he could have come up with all these scenarios and all these things. I'm just, it's just too late to do anything now. I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be on my way. God bless you. God bless you. Uh, you know, but that's not what Jesus said. That was not his response. Here's what he, he went. He just kept going toward Jairus' house as if nothing had happened. You know, the other people thought, does he understand? Maybe he misunderstood. I don't know if he got it because he's still going to Jairus' house. When Jesus starts fulfilling a promise to you, and when he begins answering your prayers, and when Jesus starts walking towards your house, 
He doesn't care what storms, what situations, what bad news, how things change on the way there. As far as he's concerned, he's going to keep coming in your direction. Jairus didn't panic. He just kept going, even though this was not unfolding in the way he planned or hoped. Here's the other thing I like about him. He didn't let go of his faith. I can't tell you how many times in ministry, in my family, with some of my friends, they'll say, you know what? I prayed and prayed for my mama to live, and then, then she died, and I'm just not following the Lord anymore. I visited that church, and there are just a lot of hypocrites there, so I'm not following the Lord anymore. I mean, we use all these excuses to bail on our faith that have nothing to do with who Jesus is. So we create and, and we have all these excuses as if it were all about us. My mama died. It's okay if all of your mamas die. <laughs> but if mine dies, well, then I'm going to not believe in the Lord anymore. As if that's some kind of punitive thing we can do towards him. Jairus didn't play any of those games. He didn't make it about him. He didn't make it about himself. He just kept walking with Jesus. So here we see the end of the story. Jairus' daughter, Jesus walks into this house, and here's something I love. He takes her by the hand. Isn't that sweet? Have you ever noticed just how affectionate Jesus is? Go back through. Here's a little Bible study you can do sometimes. See how many times Jesus takes somebody by the hand. I just think that is just a beautiful thing, and it's just affectionate. And you know, if you want to assure somebody or comfort them, or if you, you want to show affection, what do you do? You reach over and you, you hold hands. You take their hand. My grandsons, and we're about to, to cross a parking lot or a street, they know automatically they've got to reach up and take my hand. And I feel those little hands in my hand. It's, it's protection. It's security. Jesus takes her by the hand. And as he does so, he leans down, and almost in a whisper, he says, little girl, and the word he used, the word he says is, is an affectionate term. It's just not like female child. It's like, hey, little sweetie. Hey, cutie pie. Whatever it is you say to your nephews and nieces, whatever it is you say to your children and your grandchildren, that's what Jesus said. He just leaned over and said, hey, sweetheart. Time to get up. Wake up. Wake up. Now, this is not how my mother woke me up. <laughs> not once. And it was even worse at my grandparents' house because my grandfather would come in, this little three-room house. They had an alarm clock that just sounded, you know, like the whole city. It was like, something, like we were being bombed or something. And if that wasn't enough, he would come in one time to the back room where I would sleep, come to the doorway one time, and he would say, breakfast, one word, hashtag breakfast. You either got up and you got breakfast, or you didn't get up and you didn't get breakfast. And you learn pretty fast, I got to get out of this bed. And she'd start peeling off 20 quilts that they had piled over you uh, during, the, during the night. Jesus doesn't do it. He's just so sweet. Little girl, wake 
wake up. And she did. I want you to know that if, if you refuse to panic in times of adversity, whatever storm and change, darkness you go through, if you refuse to let go of your faith, Jesus can resurrect your daughter, your son, your spouse from that old sinful condition. He can resurrect your health. He can resurrect your marriage. He can resurrect your finances. Jesus can resurrect anything that the world says is dead. Jesus says, oh, hold on. It may be dead, and that may be a reality, but it's not the ultimate or final reality when Jesus is involved. So stop freaking out. Don't give up. Jesus is on his way to your house. And it may seem sometimes like he gets sidetracked. Sometimes it seems like he's taking too long. Oh my goodness, there are times I've prayed and I thought, Lord, today would be a good day. Lord, I don't know if you're looking and if you're paying attention, but I got this figured out and I can't think of more perfect timing than right now. And nothing happens. He may get sidetracked. It may feel that way. It may feel like he's taking a long time, but don't panic. Jesus is on his way to your house. When Jesus set out for the home of Jairus, why did he only take Peter, James, and John? You know, this is the first time in Scripture that that little trio is put together. First time we ever see that little group. Once there, why did he put everybody else out of the house? All these people are following him. He says, I need you to leave the room, please. I just need the parents and these three guys myself we we got this i think it was because of this i think it was because he wanted the people around him who had faith he didn't need curiosity seekers leaning over his shoulder saying anything happening anything happening you got those friends he didn't need people saying i bet you five shekels nothing happens okay you're on he didn't need all that he didn't need people laughing at him. He didn't need people criticizing him. He said, I just need a few people who are faithful. When you begin healing, when you start moving in that direction and you're walking with Jesus, circle yourself with people of faith. Pull people closer in. You're never meant to do this in isolation. You're meant to do it with faithful people. And very gently, very politely as you can, usher the other people out of the room. Push those others to the fringe of your life. Say, can't talk right now. <laughs> uh, you know, I gotta go. I just, you just got to do that. Or they're just going to, what are they going to do? They're just going to keep, you know, gnawing at you and, and chewing at you and pulling you down. And they're going to distract you and pull you off. And they're going to 
Create that fear and reinforce your fear. Pull people in who are going to pray over you and bless you and believe with you. When you need healing. All Jesus is looking for is faith. That's all he's looking for. Just for you to be faithful. We're going to take a moment and what I'd like for us to do just under his grace is to name whatever it is that's causing you panic. Whatever it is right now. Maybe it's anxiety. Oh, Lord, I'm never going to get married. Oh, Lord, we're never going to have a baby. Oh, Lord, I'm going to be broke all my life. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. And it just sends you into a panic. Let that go. Lean away from your fear into your faith and just give it to the Lord. Say, Lord, here here it is. I'm scared to death. But I'm going to walk with you. Will you come to my house with me? Would you stand? Let's do that right now. Just for a minute.